Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at just uh, one verse this morning. Uh, Noah's life story is summed up in one verse. And I know some of you are going, wow, how could you, how could you spend 30 minutes on one verse? Don't worry, I'm a trained professional. Uh, I, know how to, I know how to do that. Um, I also am a little offended. I don't know about you, but just add water doesn't quite seem to be the, uh, the theme that we should go with when you're talking about Noah. I don't know that uh, as he looks down from heaven, if he's able, if he would appreciate that. So, uh, so I tweaked it just a little bit this morning, uh, borrowing from a, uh, I was going to say a cheesy chick flick, but that would be really offensive to say it that way. Accurate, but not loving. So a romantic comedy. And actually, I like Harry Connick Jr. He's one of my, he's, 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 uh, I like Harry Connick. He's in that with Sandra Bullock. That was the name of a, of a movie, of a romance in uh, the late, the late uh, 1990s. Uh, but we're going to look at Noah's response to God. It was a response of faith. And as, as we've heard over the last few weeks, as Anton introduced uh, the topic and Pastor Nathan, and then last week Tom Warner uh, shared with us the, the faith journey of Enoch, we've seen that the faith response of different individuals to God. And it's no different this morning as we get into the life of Noah. He responded in faith when God warned him but I want us to think a little bit about why he responded in faith. As we see in this verse that we're going to read in just a moment, it was out of reverence for God. So we don't use the word reverence that much anymore in our, in our society. That's not a word that, that we uh, tend to float a, around a whole lot. Uh, Green Tree is somewhat casual uh, in our approach to worship. We worship in a bulldog cafeteria. I mean, after all, how reverent can you be in a bulldog cafeteria? Well, that's a good question because it actually doesn't have to do with the lights or the, or the floor or the stage. It really has to do with the condition of my heart and the condition of your heart. So how do we approach God in reverence in our day and age and in faith? That's what we want to, uh, to study just a little bit this morning. Uh, and as we'll see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, there are a lot of things that happen when we respond in faith. So... In Hebrews 11, verse 7, hear the word of God. <clears throat> by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and, be, and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is the reign of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for a moment. Father, faith is a word that we, uh, that we throw around pretty easily. Father, faith is, uh, can be something as simple as having faith that the Cardinals will beat the Cubs tonight with Adam Wainwright pitching. Or it could be something as profound as saying, I, I, I want this, the sum and substance of my entire eternal existence to rest upon the fact that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Or there, there are wide spectrums between those two statements. And so as we think about the term faith and we think about how we use it in application to our own lives, Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you want to teach us this morning. Lord, even this one small verse is, is profound. Uh, and I cannot do it justice, Lord. I pray that we would not be gathered together to hear the words of man, but that we would be sitting at your feet, Lord Jesus, that you would teach us, or that you would use your eternal word and that you would use my words to proclaim your truth. 
But at the end of the day, Lord, if you don't speak, then what we're doing here really doesn't matter. And so I pray that you would, again, that you would open our hearts and our minds. Reveal yourself to us. Father, forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand the way of what you want us to know, learn, and understand this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, one verse, Hebrews 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What was the result of of, uh, Noah's response of faith? If we could slip down to the, the next screen, just as a reminder, just as a backdrop, Uh, Let me take you back to a couple of earlier verses in this passage, reminding you that the author of Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When scripture uses the term faith, it uses it in direction of man toward God, God who is unseen. Uh, We can see one another. The only time anyone has seen God is when we, when we saw the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry and the people that, that lived and walked during those times. But other than that, Faith is something that we are convicted of that has not yet materialized. We're also reminded in the verse previous to the one we read this morning, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe, there's a synonym of faith, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So that there's actually a relationship I can have with God and I trust that by faith. And that's what Noah did. That's how Noah responded. So what were the results of Noah's action? There's a threefold response or a threefold result as verse 7 tells us. The first is there was an impact on his family, right? It says that out of reverent fear, he constructed an ark. And what did that ark do? It was for the saving of his household. So Noah's faith had, you could call it, trickle-down effect or an impact, a ripple effect since we're on the idea of water this morning, on those immediately around him. So Noah's wife, Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their three wives, eight people in total, seven people experienced the grace of God through the faith of one, through the faith of Noah. The second thing is that it stood in contrast to the unbelief of his generation. And we're actually going to come back to these and pick them apart a little bit more later on in the passage. But it says, by this faith, He, Noah, condemned the world. Again, we'll come back and talk about what that means. But fundamentally, it means the world had a belief system that excluded God. The world had a belief system. And if you were here last Sunday, you saw Tom Warner put the design on the, or or the, the diagram on the screen that had man at the center and all the other things around the outside, including there was a little spot there for religion. And the same was true in Noah's day, that the mind of man the way that mankind thought and acted and basically excluded God, kept him out of the mix, and their faith was in themselves. And so Noah's faith in God stood out in contrast against that unbelief. What also happened, it says, by this he became an heir of the righteousness. And righteousness is just a word that means being in right standing, okay? So he became in right standing with God, through that faith. So he became an heir. He was adopted into the family of God. Those are the results of Noah's activity of faith. So it's easy. Just go and have that kind of faith and all those things will happen to you, right? Well, yes, but 
Let's think about the reality of the world in which we live. If we take faith and we have a conversation about faith out of context, void of the reality of where you and I are going to go when we leave these doors and we maybe grab a donut and a cup of coffee and hang out together and maybe later in the week we'll be in a Bible study with some Christian friends or maybe in a prayer group with some folks, but by and large we're going to be <clears throat> excuse me, out in the world. Uh, what's that context and how does it impact our faith? The reality is that a life of faith is challenging on several levels. The first is simply we cannot see God. We hear of God in his word, right? We read God's word. We trust that it is God's word. By faith, we accept it as God's truth. But we have not seen God face to face. We have not spoken directly with God. If I stood up this morning and said, hey, funny thing happened to me on the way to church this morning. I hung out with God and saw him face to face for 20 minutes. You would be wise to ask me some clarifying questions. <laughs> Visions of God are extraordinarily rare. In Scripture, they are extraordinarily rare. So we are, we are taking this on faith. You remember what Jesus says to his disciples the night before he's betrayed? He said, you guys are doing great because you believe in me, but blessed are those who believe who will never see me. Talking about this generation. He knows that he is going to ascend into heaven and he isn't going to be seen anymore by mankind. So that's a challenge to take that on faith. You might have a friend or friends or family members who are not of the Christian persuasion and they may say, well, prove it. Show me some evidence. Give me, give me something that I can look at, that I can touch, that I can feel, that I can see. You say, that's not the kind of faith we have. The faith that we have is based on something that is not seen. Also, also, secondly, unbelievers can see you as a fool. If you've ever had any good friends that are not Christians and you've gotten into a conversation with them about it, sometimes they may look at you and go, you know, that is really goofy. <laughs> you really believe some absolutely strange things. And if, if they're less mature, they can make fun of you. They can pick on you a little bit. Hey, how about that Christian over there? Guess, guess what kind of things he believes? Maybe some of you have had, maybe a lot of you have had that kind of experience. There are times when the circumstances of my life make faith almost an absurdity. When, when I'm faced with some of the brokenness of this world, whether it's something that I observe from a distance or something that impacts me directly, whether it's a, you know, a moment where I, I get a bad report from the doctor or whether it's a situation where my, you know, my business for which I've worked so hard is really struggling and I'm facing incredibly difficult circumstances. At those moments, it may seem to trust in God is the thing that is almost nonsensical. Our thinking is, well, if this is the, 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 the place I find myself, having believed in God up to this point, it doesn't seem like it's done me any good. And, and maybe logic tells me I should move in a radically different direction. What's your Noah moment? Have you had one of those? Think about this. God said to Noah, I'm going to destroy the world by a flood, and I want you to build an ark. Here are the dimensions. Here are the blueprints. I'm going to save you. I'm going to save your family. You have to trust me that this is true. God's never said this to anybody else up until the, that point in the history of the world. If you want to go with just the kind of Genesis data, the world's at least 1,600 years old at that point. Lots and lots of people have come and gone. Nobody's ever had this conversation with, with, uh, with God before that God's going to destroy the world by a flood. If you've ever heard the old Bill Cosby routine about how Noah kind of has this inner struggle with, with building the ark, and up until the very last moment, he has his doubts. What's your Noah moment? Where, where is it where you've come face to face with the struggles and the reality of life where you've said, you know, I'm at a crossroads. Am I really going to trust God in this moment? 
I remember, although this doesn't sound all that profound, the moment I, I decided that I was going to stay in ministry, I was doing youth ministry at Lookout Mountain Prez down in Tennessee, uh, and it was a fun job, and I really enjoyed it, and I was pretty good with kids in those days, but I always thought eventually I'd get a real job, you know, that I, that I would do something that, you know, wasn't just kind of working in a church, because after all, probably anybody could work in a church. I mean, how hard could that be? And uh, I, I remember when I came face-to-face with kind of the end of one dream and the reality that that ministry was going to be my life's career, and on top of that, it meant going back to school, which is not something that I thoroughly enjoyed growing up. That's not a crisis moment, but at that moment, I'm like... Do I really want to walk down this path? I've had other moments where I've stood with friends, people I love dearly as they've stood next to caskets, in particular struggling with those moments when someone younger has passed away, when a child perhaps has died. And at those moments, you're tempted to say, you know, where, where has my faith gotten me? And the brokenness of this world can attack and challenge our faith and our trust in God. And then fourthly, and maybe the one that we don't want to admit very often, faith is giving up control. It's trusting solely in God. Have you ever done one of those trust falls? Maybe you went to camp in the summer and you stand on the ledge and you got about six or eight people standing behind you and they say, now just fold your arms and fall back and what? We will catch you, right? And I've never been able to do that. And it's not just that I don't like the sensation of falling backwards, although that isn't all that great a sensation. I just looked at the faces of the people saying that they would catch me and realizing that they probably might not do that. <laughs> they might just go ahead and let me fall. And they go, oh, wasn't that funny? Why don't, we, why don't we do that again, you know, as I'm lying in the dust? And sometimes we have that feeling of, you know, God, I have to let go if I'm going to trust you. Because trusting you means, by definition, that I'm no longer in charge that I'm no longer the one that's running this deal. The reality is, friends, this one little verse about Noah's faith and his response is pretty profound because there's all kinds of reasons not to have faith. There are challenges on every level of our life when it comes to our faith. But the reality is, the deeper reality is this, that faith is a response to God's initiative. Coming back to chapter 11, verse 7, by faith Noah, what? being warned by God concerning events yet not seen. You see, friends, we worship a God who is not on our time continuum. There is no past and no present and no future with God. God, It's not that God can look out into the future and kind of see what's going to happen. God is not encumbered by time. God lives in the eternal now, and he knows everything from start to finish. And he knew what he was going to do in the history of the world and bringing about the salvation of Noah and the condemnation of the, of the wretchedness that the world had become. And so he took the initiative. Noah didn't wake up one morning and said, I got this eerie feeling. <laughs> something bad's going to happen in the next hundred years, and I maybe should do something about it. It says that God reached out to Noah. God warned Noah concerning events yet seen. Friends, that is the truth. And that is why we can trust in the character of God, because he is the God that saves. God doesn't start out saying, now, what's best for me? God doesn't start out by saying, now, I don't care about people. I might take care of them if I, if I have a little spare time. But at the end of the day, it's really all about me. God looks down, and he has compassion, and he has mercy, and he has kindness. And, he, and in a sense, he puts himself in our place. He says, how can I bring redemption? God's character is true, and it can be trusted. About four months ago, I was involved in a family conversation in which I was doing the listening. I wasn't really invited into the conversation, 
but I was in the room, and we were talking about an upcoming wedding that Nathan's wife, Liz, so Nate's brother-in-law is a guy named Isaiah, and he's getting married uh, right before Labor Day weekend. And my husband's, uh, my, my husband, my son's wife's mother, okay, Nate's mother-in-law, is originally from Belize. And so Isaiah has decided that he wants to have a location wedding. So they're going to go to Belize to get married at the very end of August, very beginning of September. And so Nate and Liz are going. And I said, well, now what about, what about the girls? What are Lael and Avery going to do? Lael's about five and Avery's about 14, 15 months old. And they said, well, we're going to take uh, Lael with us because she's going to be the flower girl, right? And we thought we'd leave Avery with you guys. And now we're okay. Okay, now I'm supposed to be a good grandpa here and, and have the baby for a week. But then I start thinking, wait a minute, my wife works at Kirkwood High School, and she goes back to work on like August the 14th, and this is like August the 23rd through the 1st of September, and I'm seeing a whole lot of Tom and Avery time together, and I haven't changed diapers in a long time, and I, you know... So I did the very gracious, fatherly, grandfather thing. I got on the phone. I said, Katie, I'm buying you a ticket. You're coming to St. Louis, and you're going to bond with your niece. <laughs> and she's going to come, and she's going to do that. And I'll get to kind of go in and interject and then, you know, leave for a little while and come back and interject a little more. Why? Because it's all about Tom. <laughs> That's the plain, ugly truth. It's all about Tom. How shallow am I, all right? I would, I would buy my daughter a ticket to come do what I should be willing to do in the first place. And sometimes the experiences of your life make you think that about your heavenly father. They cause me to, they cause me to doubt his goodness. So well, maybe it's just about him, maybe it's not about me. And yet we see not only through the stories of Hebrews 11, but we see through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can trust in the character of our father. He starts by asking the question, how can I bring my glory to bear on the salvation of these lost people, which led him to a conversation with Noah, which led him to send his son to die on a cross, which led him to have you in this room this morning to either be reminded again about how important it is to trust God in faith or to hear for the first time that God is desperately committed to the salvation of mankind. The reality is that we are responding to God's initiative. One other reality this morning, the reality is the truth for Noah is the truth for us. Those same three things that I mentioned earlier in the passage are not just true for Noah, but they're true for you and for me this morning. Think about the impact we have on our families and think about what we just did with the baptism. Think about, dads, how your life of faith is going to impact your children. Think about moms, how your life of faith is going to impact the ones that you're nurturing and bringing up in the loving care of the Lord. Think about it from a perspective of grandparents, children. Think about how your faith can actually be an encouragement to not only your mom and dad, but the people around you. There, there are a couple of, of kids who are in the, the children who are in the second service most Sundays at Green Tree Community Church. And I'm not going to mention their names because I don't want to embarrass them. But while I'm preaching, they're actually sketching out the sermon as they hear it. And pretty much every Sunday, they come up and say, hey, Pastor Tom, here's your sermon, all right? And I get to look at it. And today, if, if, if they're in town, if they're not on vacation, I'll see a picture of an ark, and I'll see a picture of Noah, and I'll see literally those three points drawn out somehow. These guys, you, you can skip coming to church, find them, and just get their notes every Sunday, and you'll be in, you'll be in great shape. How do you think that makes me feel? Oh my goodness, what a blessing. 
to know that there's a way in which the word of God is impacting a little one so that I could actually be encouraged in my faith. So I could actually, I could actually think when I prepare my sermons now, now remember, there's some children listening to make sure that you, you try to use words and analogies that they can follow and that they can understand. What a blessing that is. The, the faith that Noah had impacted his family. The, the faith that we have impacts our family. And I know there's some high school students in our congregation whose parents are not yet Christians, but they're interested in the word of God now because they've seen this radical change in their children. God works through families. I remember talking to a, a parent recently just a week or two ago, um, and, and this parent used the word finally when, we were, when I asked about one of their kids. Finally, you know, finally, she's coming around. And I said, isn't it great that there's a finally? All these years that you've, you know, lost sleep at night, all these years, you know, you've gotten calluses on your knees for praying and praying and seeing what you would say is one awful result after another in, in, in your paradigm and in my paradigm, I'm, I'm standing right there with you going, yeah, man, this is so tough, but it's not done yet. The story isn't finished being written. And, and through that faith, both of those parents actually, God brought that child back. So isn't it great that, that we serve a God that produces a finally and that our families can be changed. But notice also the reality of Noah's truth is the same for us, that our stand in faith is a contrast to the unbelief of our generation as well. Now, we have to be careful here because that word condemn is a strong word. And you and I might get the idea that our job is now to go out and tell everybody else how bad they are and tell them they should look to us to be better people. Understand that, that this condemnation is not a hatred. It is not a self-righteous smugness. It is a faith that is an assurance of things that are not seen that points to the truth of the end game. Your life of faith and my life of faith should be lived in a way that causes someone else to have a little bit of unrest in their soul because they are not secure in their salvation. And they should welcome a conversation with us and, and our lives should point to humility and grace and compassion while we stand on the truth that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life that no one comes to the Father but by him. Hope floats, friends. It's supposed to be out there. It's supposed to be seen. I was uh, watching a, a, just a brief few moments of one of the Cardinals afternoon games the other day, and they kind of panned back from Wrigley, and you could see out on Lake Michigan, what did you see all those white sails of all those boats going around? And you're like, those folks are having a great day. I mean, it was a beautiful day. It was like 78 degrees. You're like, man, I wish I was there. And when an unbeliever steps back from life and sees your life or my life, and the security that we have, not in ourselves, not in self-righteousness, but a humble reliance on the grace and the mercy of God in Christ and an awe that it could actually be given to a sinner like me, they ought to say, man, I'd like to be there. My way of thinking is condemned in my own heart, not because someone's been judgmental with me, but because I see its fallacy. I see the brokenness of that way of thinking. The worst decision we can make is to reject the grace of God in Jesus, the best decision we can make is chapter 11, verse 7 says, embrace this righteousness, this right standing with God that comes by faith. And the third reality that was for Noah is also the same for all who call on God's name through Jesus and faith today. We are welcomed into God's family. You and I are made heirs of God's grace. 
I want to give you three quick applications this morning. I'm actually going to use three different quotes from three different theologians uh, from different generations and different eras. Uh, actually, the most uh, recent is the top one, and then we work our way down into history, and we get to Martin Luther in a second. But there's an application in each one of these. It's not just a quote for the sake of the quote. The first one is this. Uh, Adrian Rogers, who was a, a Baptist theologian, he passed away, I think, in maybe 2005. So 20th century, uh, very strong teaching pastor and theologian said this, a faith that hasn't been tested cannot be trusted. Remember we said a little while back that the reality is that a life of faith sometimes is very difficult. And you might be in one of those moments right now where your faith is being tested, where you're saying, you know what, in all honesty, Tom, I don't see an upside to it right now. I get it. A lot of people in this room get it. And it's in those moments where God refines us. It's in those moments where there's no place else to turn because no matter how comforting the pastor tries to be, you still have to go home and deal with the reality of your circumstances. It's in those moments that God says, I'm still here. And what you're going through right now is only going to make you more deeply embedded in my love and in my compassion and in my kindness. If you're in one of those dark moments today, if you're in one of those struggles today, please know that this congregation cares well for one another. Our Stephen ministry, our, our deacons, our helps ministry, there are a lot of ways that we can care for you. Our prayer team after the service would be happy to introduce you to any of those ideas. I'll be standing over here. I'd be happy to, to point you in the right direction. But this congregation is a place that cares well for folks because those moments come. Because quite frankly, our faith does need to be tested in order for it to go deeper. The second is from Karl Barth, German theologian who said, faith in God's revelation has nothing to do with an ideology which glorifies the status quo. I love that because what Bartha says, if you really have faith, your life is going to be so radically different than the rest of the world, you, you will stand out like a beacon in the night. And friends, I need a deeper faith and so do you. We, we need to not be satisfied with the status quo. We, our faith needs to say there are no boundaries, there are no limits to what God's power and grace can do. God, you can use me. You can use Little Green Tree Community Church. You can use this community of believers, this fellowship, this spiritual family to do amazing things if we trust in you. If our faith is not in ourselves, if our faith is in you. But Barth is quick to point out, we need to take a good hard look in the mirror. Are we satisfied with the status quo? Are we satisfied with just kind of coming and hanging out and being part of it? but not really thinking and dreaming and envisioning what pathways God could put us on for his glory and for the growth of his kingdom. And the last comes from Martin Luther. He said the whole being of any Christian is faith and love. Faith brings the man to God. Love brings him to men. And Luther's right to point out that our faith is a, is a, is a sermon in life. <laughs> Our faith is an example for others to see. And, and if my faith in God doesn't lead to a love and a compassion and a kindness for lost mankind, I should question very seriously my faith in God. James says that unequivocally. How can you say I love God and say to your neighbor who's totally in a devastated situation, just go warm and be well fed? That's no faith at all. Friends, Green Tree Community Church is built on a faith in God that drives us to love mankind and to share the gospel with any and all in a variety of different ways, whether it's going to Joplin, whether it's somebody across the backyard in our, in our own neighborhood, in our school where we attend school, 
we are driven and compelled by the love of God to love others. That's what faith does for us. Just add water, maybe not today. <laughs> not, not for Noah's sake, at least. He, he had enough water. But just add faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you that, um, that you, you could have just said, you know what, the world's a waste, and yeah, there are eight people I could save, but you know, that's, that's such a small number, why bother? Lord, it could have been that, that we, we would never even been here if you hadn't been compassionate in Noah's generation and decided that you would save. Father, the same is true of our generation. If you don't save, then we are lost. But Lord, our faith is in you. Our faith is in the character of our God who is compassionate and merciful, who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for all of us. Father, may our trust and our hope not be in ourselves. Father, when our circumstances would maybe shout that we ought not have faith, that it's foolish to have faith, when, when contemporaries around us, family members or friends or coworkers mock us for our faith, Lord Jesus, in those moments, make us steady. Let us see the, the reality of what is unseen. Let us have a, an unbroken confidence, not in our ability to hang on to you, but your eternal ability to hang on to us. May we be a people of faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.